City West, thank you for coming this morning. Why don't we have a little talk with Jesus right now? Join me in prayer if you would. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come and celebrate today, to worship you. Father, to hear and to sing songs that are deep within our faith. We come to fellowship, to encourage, to inspire, to be challenged, to look beyond our sphere of influence, beyond to places that are in great need. Father, this morning we do pray for so many in Florida and the East Coast that have been hit so hard. And probably most of us have uh, uh, good friends, people that we know that are right in the storm's way. And I just pray that, Father, through all the different resources, that help would be there, that even with our own North American Mission Board and our sin relief and our disaster relief teams all over the country that will be heading that direction, that, Father, you will inspire and encourage them as they help and as they share the gospel. And I pray, Father, whatever we can do, especially in the realm of prayer, that we will be on our knees with every single one of them. And you know that. And, Father, we even look beyond our own shores to the world we see a world that is lost. The gospel needs to be communicated. God, I pray that we will remember them every single day, those who are lost in countries around the world where Christianity is but a small, small portion. And I pray for our missionaries and pray for those believers as they send light to a darkened area. And help us to support them. 
Father, help us to pray for them. Help us to remember them. God, I pray this morning that we will experience your presence ourselves so that we will also see the people in our community that are in great need and in darkness. And so I pray today will be an inspiration. It will be informative, but more importantly, the power of your spirit to be in our midst. And I pray we'll be listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, again, thank you for being here, for coming. If you're a guest for the first time, we'd love for you to take the guest card, fill it out, drop it in the offering boxes at every exit. We would appreciate that today. And I'd like to say, let's continue our singing, okay? I invite you to stand as we begin by singing Rise Up and Praise Him.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we begin today by giving you thanks. Your love endures forever. It never fails. As we open the service today, let us make a joyful noise to you. We pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. May we be transformed into your likeness. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with your power and your love. Let's sing.
Christ receiveth sinful men.
Pat, choir, thank you so much. You know, the reason that uh, when the storms are crashing about you and the fiery darts are being thrown at you, the reason that you can sing is because of a foundation that you have. And so no matter what happens, that foundation, which is Christ, which is what a biblical worldview will help us with. It will allow us to work ourselves with the help of God through any situation that might come and praise him in the midst of it. This morning I begin a five-part series on a biblical worldview. What is it? And the first part addresses just basically what is a worldview. Uh, biblical worldview is one aspect of what worldviews are. I had the privilege, while the ladies' tea was going on, and my oldest uh, daughter and her husband were, uh, were, uh, had appointments, I was able to go over to their house, and for about two and a half, three hours, I watched those two little twins that are about 20, 20 months old now, 20, something like that, 22 months old. And uh, their worldview is something very different than my worldview. <laughs> question is, what is your worldview? And why, at this stage and age of our life, do we even care about a worldview or a biblical worldview? In 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15, the, the latter part, Peter writes and says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and with respect. The very understanding and command that we are to be able to give a defense of the reason that we have hope no matter what happens is what should thrust us and to an understanding that no matter what age and no matter what season of life we're in, we are around people all the time. And if we're living the way that, uh, that uh, Jesus lived, most likely there are people that have questions for us. We need to be able to answer them. A large share of our nation's moral and spiritual challenges, I think, is directly attributed to the absence of a biblical worldview. In fact, the research will show that. It is amazing how many people actually don't believe they have a worldview and do not have a biblical worldview, and how many believers taking some of these surveys express that they don't live their life according to what the Scripture says, they just live it according to what they think is the right thing to do. In fact, George Barna, one of the researchers of, uh, of our day, says, if Jesus Christ came to this planet as a model of how we ought to live, then our goal should be to act like Jesus. Sadly, few people consistently demonstrate the love, obedience, and priorities of Jesus. He says the primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because they do not think like Jesus. Behavior stems from what we think, our attitudes, beliefs, values, and opinions. 
although most people own a Bible, he says, and most know some of the content, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. So many times we are more concerned with just surviving in our world, of just getting to the next day or the next week. We've got to figure out how to do more. We need to live our life with an understanding that we need to experience and we need to communicate to others truth and significance. Our moral and ethical decisions that we make are based upon our worldview. So as we work through this series, and we talk today about just what a worldview is, next week about the six factors, key factors to a biblical worldview, and then we address some of those key factors on into the series that are prominent and important. I want you to continue to ask that question. Do I think like Jesus thinks? So what is a worldview? That term worldview may sound kind of abstract, maybe philosophical, something that you just kind of have to pull out of the air. But in reality, it's a person's worldview is a practical sense. Simply put, it's the sum total of our beliefs of the world. It is the big picture of our daily decisions and, and, and actions. Understanding worldviews, I think, is extremely important. Not only the one that, that I believe the scripture wants us to have, but also the other worldviews, so that we can be intelligent in our conversations with our neighbors and others, because every one of them also have a worldview. It's also defined as a combination of all that you believe to be true, and what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, decision, and action. So all of a sudden we begin to think that, understand that what we think turns into what we believe, and what we believe becomes the driving force with everything that we think and do and how we act. <coughs> Everyone has a worldview. Whether or not we realize it, we have certain presuppositions. We have some biases as we've gone through life on how we view life, people, the world. Uh, a biblical worldview is kind of like a lens. Um, it lens taints our vision or alters the way that we perceive things around us. And that's what our biblical worldview, that's why we... In our, in our nation, we have sometimes polar opposites, a very divisive area because we're, we're looking at the same circumstances through different lenses, our different worldviews. Our worldview is formed by education, by science, by art, by government, by our upbringing, by the culture that we live in, the books that we read, the magazines, the newspapers, the media like television, the things that we stream, the music we listen to, the, the movies that we see, all of those things come into our mind and we begin to sort them 
And through that basis, we began to develop a worldview, how we view things that happen in the world around us. So we're experiencing a very dangerous and life-threatening situation in America today as our culture wars continue with conflicting worldviews at the center being fought. So I think that kind of helps us understand a little bit about knowing or understanding that we have a need for a worldview. It's important for us to give attention to the proper worldview. When I say proper, it's exactly what I'm, I'm doing. I am communicating to you that we as believers in Christ should have a particular worldview. And it's going to be different than somebody else's, but ours ought to be based on something that we can hold on to. And we're going to address that as time continues on. Arthur Holmes states that there, uh, the need for a worldview is fourfold. It helps us with the need to unify thought and life, to define the good life and to find hope and meaning in life, to guide thought, to guide action, and Jerry Solomon suggests a fifth one to help us deal with the increasing diverse culture that we live in. When we come to an understanding of why we need to have a worldview or a proper worldview, these are things that show us clearly that the need is before us. And we can either just say that doesn't pertain to me at all and just go back into our area of worldview or we can begin to see and understand, okay, there's a need out there because if I'm going to engage in this world, I'm going to live in this world, even in the world of Sun City West or Peoria or Grand Community or Sun City or wherever you live, if I'm going to engage in that area, then these are things that I need. And so I need to understand my worldview. We live in, uh, in a world with a smorgasbord of worldviews. I, I read more and more people, younger people, uh, celebrities, that uh, will say that uh, I am not a religious person, I am a spiritual person. <laughs> and what they're saying is, I, I, I'm not into organized religion. But I am a spiritual being, and therefore, basically, they're saying, I'm the one who picks and chooses out of whatever it is to bring about my spiritual being, what I believe spiritually. It's kind of like having a nice buffet out there. You have all of these different foods, and you start going through, and you, you pick a little bit of this, and you pick a little bit of that, and you pick a little bit of this and that. It depends if you're trying to be healthy, if you're not trying to be healthy. <laughs> trying to get your money's worth, whatever it is. You pick and choose, and when you get to your, uh, to your table, you've got your plate, and that's your food. And it's kind of like that for the spiritual person. Not, a, not the Christian person, but the spiritual person. They, they go through all these different worldviews or religions, and, and they pick the things that they like. They leave behind the rest of it. But who's the one picking? They are. And they have put themselves in the place of God, of choosing what is the right thing, what is the wrong thing. This is the kind of world that we live in. All of these worldviews claim truth. So what is truth? What makes it truth? And so we're challenged to sort through all of these mixtures of worldviews and wisdom, asking God to guide us every step along the way. And the needs are experienced by all people, whether consciously or unconsciously. So the proper worldview, I believe, is like a compass. It continues to point us 
in the right direction. It will guide us if we allow it to. And for me, the scripture is what I hold on to as my compass. What's a test for a worldview? So if you're going to go uh, and, and look at, at your worldview and, and say, well, or if you're going to, to go through all these different worldviews, what are the tests to, uh, to know if it's a good worldview or a proper worldview? Well, number one, it should be rational. It should not ask us to do things that are contrary. It should ask us to understand that this world is a rational world. God created it that way, very organized. Number two, it should be supported by evidence. It should be consistent with what we observe. We should observe, and that should match exactly what is supported. Third, it should give us a satisfying, comprehensive explanation of reality. It just goes through and explains to us why things are the way they are. And fourth, it should provide a satisfactory basis for living, how we live life every single day. Our worldview, or the worldview that you might be looking at in this smorgasbord, it should leave us feeling like I am satisfied. I have this worldview. I get everything from it. I don't have to go and borrow from another worldview or borrow this from a third worldview or a fourth worldview. <coughs> that worldview that is proper should be one that says, okay, this takes care of everything. I, I, I might still have questions, but this gives me the full assurance that how I see the world and the decisions that I make, the emotions that I have, I have it based on something beyond just my own mental capability. The late Chuck uh, Colson wrote that there are three categories that provide a means for us to compare and contrast the uh, philosophies that are competing for us and our allegiance. He said these three categories cover the central questions that every single worldview must cover. If you're questioning any worldview, including your own, Number one, it deals with creation. Where did we come from? And who are we? Where did we come from? And who are we? You ever sat down to think about that? Or you just assume? Number two is the fall. What's wrong with the world? What's gone wrong with it? If we were put here, everything should have gone right. But it didn't, because we live in a fallen world. And number three is redemption. What can we do to fix it? And so any worldview that you take on or that you develop yourself, you need to ask these questions. It needs to address these three areas or categories. And I think that this method of analysis is critical because it's going to enable us, each of us, to discern and defend the truth of what we believe. If you can answer these questions with your worldview, which I hope will is or will become a biblical worldview, then I believe you will be fulfilled. Christianity is a reasonable faith, solidly grounded in Scripture and human experience. This is where we get our understanding. When we, when we face the questions of life, either by command or by principle, God's Word guides us. The Spirit, His Spirit, who lives inside of us, allows us to discern what's going on. This 
the scripture. And as we go through human experience, the Christian faith will guide us. When I talk about the Christian faith, I'm not talking about just the nominal faith of just somebody who, who talks to God periodically, but is not having an ongoing, deepening relationship. That is critical for us to grow spiritually in this season of our lives. It provides, I believe, these three questions, a worldview that fits the reality and enables us to live in harmony with reality. The real things that happen, we can adjust those. We can hit them head on. We can face the storms of life and the fiery darts that come and know that we're still going to face them, but God is going to be with us step by step. His word tells us that. There's so many that have different worldviews that they just come to whatever happens, happens, but they have no hope. There's hopelessness there. These three questions, I think, form a grid that we can use to break down the inner logic of every single belief system or philosophy that we encounter. Whether it be you taking the time with your grandkids or great-grandkids to look at their textbooks, because you'll be able to discern and see, is this something that lines up with a biblical worldview? All the way to the unspoken philosophies from, uh, that we get from the countless uh, sages on TV or the the, uh, the uh, TV prophets or those talking heads that are always just talking about things, but they have no substance. They have no reality. They have no foundation. It helps you to, to hear what you're hearing, discern it, and say, that's not right. This is not right. What they're saying, this particular worldview, it doesn't mesh with a, with a biblical worldview. If used correctly, this three-part rid of questions will help you critique non-biblical worldviews. And at the same time, it's going to help you frame a biblical worldview on any subject that you encounter. From family life to education, from politics to science, from art to popular culture, all of these things. If you use these three questions, you'll be able to come to an understanding that what I am seeing and what's being presented to me either fits within a biblical worldview or it doesn't. With all of these worldviews out there and everybody having a worldview, you've got to be able to discern that just when you sit down and you talk with people that you know, with your neighbors, with those at your clubs, wherever you go, to be able to, to converse with them and you'll be able to all of a sudden understand, wow, you know what, I think their worldview is different than mine. It doesn't match a biblical worldview. It should be understood that all worldviews have some components that are the same. And there will be people that will uh, deny that, but the reality is that they're self-evident, they should be kept in mind as you, uh, as you develop your own biblical worldview, but also as you share it with others. These things that all worldviews have in common are fourfold. Number one, something exists. Again, it sounds obvious, but some will try to deny it. But this is a foundational element of building a worldview. All people ex experience that cause and effect. Cause and effect, if, if I have a hammer and I'm trying to hammer a, a nail in and I miss and I hit my thumb, it hurts. It's a cause and effect. 
It's reality. There are things that exist. Something exists out there. The universe is rational. It's predictable. You can see that there was an intelligent design. So there's that idea that something exists. Secondly, all people have absolutes. Now many will try to deny this, but to deny it is actually to assert it. Because they'll say, absolutely nobody has absolute truth. And they've just made the case. All of us seek an infinite reference point. For those of us who are believers in Christ, it it is our creator who has given us his word, who has sent his son, who has empowered us through his spirit. So for us, it's God. But for other people, it might be the state. For others, it's love. For some, it's power. For some, it's themselves. Others, it's mankind. Third, two contradictory statements cannot both be right. That's just the primary law of logic. Every one of us can say, well, they don't match. (laughs) You can't agree on, on things that are contradictory. The reality is, ideally speaking, only one worldview can correctly mirror reality. Only one. For those who are believers in Christ, that is the one who spoke everything into existence out of nothing. Because only he would have existed if he had not created our world and us. Truth cannot be overemphasized because the reality is that the prominent belief today is that tolerance is the greatest virtue. Tolerance of everyone's worldview. I see the flags and I see the bumper stickers where they have all the different symbols of different religions and just say, you know, uh, coexist. And we can coexist as long as we understand what each other believes. Josh McDowell says that today tolerance means all individual beliefs, values, lifestyles, and truth claims are equal in value. So if I... If I go out somewhere, somebody says, well, the sun died today. It's dark outside, and it's as light as it can be. I have to say, man, I I value your opinion. (laughs) I value your view. My youngest daughter, when she was little, little, uh, if, if you said the sky was blue, she'd automatically always come back and say the sky's red. If you say the wall is white, she say that wall's orange. <laughs> she just looked at things differently. She wanted to agitate, obviously, in her creative way. <laughs> in our day, to say someone is wrong and not give tolerance is to be labeled intolerant and narrow-minded. And today, there are a few other words that are used. 
I think an illustration of this is when we hear people say that all religions are the same. That would mean that Hindus, for example, agree that Christian, with Christians concerning God, concerning Jesus Christ, concerning salvation, concerning heaven, concerning hell, and a host of other doctrines. And you know as well as I do that that is nonsense. <coughs> Two contradictory statements cannot both be right. And that's why when we look at the different worldviews in the realm of religion, they collide because they contradict, they have a different vantage point of their relationship with God or whatever being they choose to call him or her. Fourth, surprisingly, all people exercise faith. All of us presuppose things that are true without, without absolute proof. These are inferences or these are assumptions upon which our belief is put in place. There are some common assumptions in, in uh, differing worldviews. Um, some that say a personal God exists, that would be believers in Christ. Some say that man evolved from inorganic manner, uh, inorganic matter, that it just, just happened, and there was no God. Some say man is essentially good, and we know that man is essentially fallen. Some say reality is material. So we have these different assumptions. We believe that holding on to Scripture, that we know and have the proof that God exists. But another world religion, worldview, would say something completely different. And yet each one of us exercise faith. We talk about a personal relationship with God, that God is spirit. That's why even through the, the times of life, through the times of life, doubts come. We wonder. Because we haven't been able to see him and touch him. What we do have is faith that his spirit lives inside of us. What we do have is faith that what his word says is true. It's the living word. And what the truth says and what his spirit does is to empower us and encourage us and guide us through every single difficulty of life. We exercise faith just like those who believe that man came from a blob. Now, that would be a lot of faith, I think. <laughs> but it's misplaced faith. So, we understand a worldview exists. That we all have it. We understand that there is a need for us to have a worldview. There is an understanding of how to test for the worldview. We see that there are some common elements within worldviews. But the most important thing is for us to see where that worldview is for us. We find that worldviews are basically put into two categories. One is the non-religious worldview. That would be philosophical variants of, of uh, 
that are most common in our world is uh, naturalism, rationalism, secular humanism, atheism, and agnosticism. Those are the common ones with perspectives that are not religious. In other words, any worldview that falls under this umbrella of non-religious worldviews do not contain any reference to supernatural beliefs, no divine power. And so you have those worldviews. One of the most dangerous is humanism. The ultimate brainchild of evolution, we find that humanism holds that man is the measure of all things. It's not God. I measure everything by man. Why would I do that if man has fallen? And yet, humanism says man. That's the highest. There's no one else. There's no super being. We just make it ourselves. This belief holds that man has knowledge of himself only, that there's no knowledge that comes from uh, a supernatural being, from a God, because God does not exist. In humanism, man decides what's right and wrong. <laughs> this is in direct contrast to what our founding fathers put in place that when they made the bold statement that God has given man inalienable rights that cannot be taken away. The contrast. But we have to understand it or know it. Those that held to humanism, that man is just getting better and better and better at the turn of the 20th century, thought that the 20th century was going to be the golden age. And yet it was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. And the 21st century has not started out that great. The father of modern humanism, the late H.J. Blackham, acknowledged the most potent objection to humanism is that it is just too bad to be true. The other category is the religious worldview. It's a contrast, non-religious worldview, religious worldviews. We find that uh, the religious real, uh, uh, worldviews, that they embrace some kind of supernatural divine in some form or fashion. Now, I obviously, when you compare this, when you get to, to where you compare the different worldviews, you start with God. We don't have time today to go into all the different doctrines of how you look at them, but but as, as a believer in Christ, a Christian worldview says that there is just one God and he's the creator of all things and he's considered to be three persons. That is what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And these three aspects of God coexist with one single Godhead. And these are truths that believers must embrace and must understand if you're going to compare and if you're going to discuss other religious worldviews. You need to understand the doctrines, the beliefs that the scripture lays out so that when you talk to people you don't have to be afraid. Because, frankly, there are a lot of people that you run into outside of church that are lost. And there needs to be this connection. There needs to be the ability for them and for you to have this discussion. I think we go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That verse means a whole lot to me because it tells us that we must be ready. God expects us not to have just accepted Christ into our life, which does give us eternal life. And it allows God's Spirit to live inside of us. But he wants us to grow in knowledge and understanding of what his word says to have that kind of biblical worldview so that you have the ability, not only when the storms of life come for you, that, that you are stable, but also you can share, you can discuss what God has done in your life. And I like what he says, what Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, don't take your big family Bible with you when you talk to them. <laughs> it's not a, a time to argue and yell, but he says with gentleness. Share the faith. Share the belief. Share the biblical worldview that you have, that God lives in you, and he can live in them as well. But also, when your world is rocked with the loss of someone or the financial stress or the chaos in the world, that you can sing fire when the storms of life comes and when the fiery darts. And so today I would like to ask you to take the opportunity to reaffirm your commitment to Christ, to reaffirm your commitment to get into the scriptures, to have an understanding of a true biblical worldview, and then be ready to share the hope that is in you to someone who is hopeless, helpless, lost, wandering. I know you probably have friends that they have no clue what's going to happen to them when they die. You have it. Father, as we go into our invitation, I pray that you will use this understanding of what Peter said in this time of information about worldviews to help us to consider about where we are. And this morning to reaffirm our commitment to grow in you and not just be a spectator in the Christian life, but to be engaged in it. In the sphere of people that we have, and for some here today, it's, it's limited contact. For others, it's every day they're seeing people. I pray we'll be attuned to that and be ready to discuss. So today, whatever decisions need to be made, God, I pray that they will be made. But I do pray there's a reaffirmation to learn and to share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and let's sing our invitation.
please be seated. And I'd ask you just to close your eyes, bow your heads. We are going to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Our deacons are going to make their way down. So please take this time to pray and to prepare. Father, we come to this place and we remember your words. Do this in remembrance of me. And I pray that each one of us will remember and we will be prepared. And we'll be able to put all of the cares of this world, which can be many, to the side and that our mind and heart focused upon the reading of scripture this morning in the beginning and Logos Jesus came and his own did not receive him and we know Instead, we nailed him to the cross because of our sins. He was resurrected to give us hope, eternal life, and the power of his spirit within us. And so as we remember, we remember his sacrifice and all that he did and that he continues to empower us and he sends us to go and make disciples. God, I pray as we celebrate the bread and the juice, the sacrifice, that we will remember and we will respond. In Jesus' name we pray.
Jesus said, take eat, this is my body. Bill, would you lead us in prayer? Specifically focusing on both elements, the symbolism of Christ's body being torn and his blood spilled out. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift that you gave us of your only begotten Son. And this remembrance for him who gave his body and shed his blood for our sins and for the promise of the gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Bless us now as we observe. In your holy name we ask it.
Jesus said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you this truth. I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the time I will drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Such a great promise. Would you join me in prayer? And then we have just a, a few more announcements. Father, the promise that you've given, that you will drink this fruit of the vine when we are all together in your Father's kingdom is a promise that runs deep. It's a promise that we hold on to because we know you keep your promises and you have given to each one of us who have a faith in Christ. Your Holy Spirit is the down payment of the guarantee of the hope that is within. And we thank you for that. Help us to be the disciples that you have called, that you've equipped, and that you will be with as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. In both the small lobby and the main lobby, there are a number of sign-up sheets. Men, today is the last day for you to sign up for the breakfast, which will be this Tuesday morning at 8, with Phil McKenna as the speaker. You'll notice in your bulletin, the weekend of October 21st through the 23rd is a Bible conference with Dr. Steve Lemke. The theme is, Why Does God Allow Evil and Suffering? There will be several sessions, and there's a sign-up sheet in both lobbies for you to indicate your preference for uh, coming that Friday evening when we will have a barbecue dinner and then on Saturday for lunch. But we do need you to sign up for those, as well as sign-ups for both the men's Bible study and women's Bible study, which will begin this Thursday at 10 o'clock. Those are six weeks long. The last one is a sign-up for SOS, Single Only Sisters, for a lunch on October the 13th. Stitches of Love resume tomorrow at 9.30. So ladies, if you like to sew, or if you want to be a part of that ministry, and it's a vital ministry, please remember they're starting up again tomorrow at 9.30 in 108. The Women's Fellowship Lunch, you will also read about that in the bulletin. And the last thing, our state mission offering. You'll see on the inside of the bulletin, our goal is 4,500. To date, or at least when this bulletin was printed, we've received 3,733. So we have a little ways to go. There are envelopes in the pew racks in front of you if you've not had opportunity to give, or if the Lord has impressed you to give additional. Those will be put to good use in ministries across our state. Would you stand again as we prepare for our closing prayer? Dr. Scott Williamson, Williamson will come and lead us in that prayer as we go. Let's bow in prayer. 
Father, as we go forth from this place, may our prayer be that of the psalmist who said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Are dismissed.